0: So that we can fully comprehend this passage and put it in its right context, and so that we don't just take it as a separate thing altogether, let's try and connect it with the entire chapter, which included the sermon that you heard last week from Father Astor we are talking about, or we're taking our message from last week and this week from chapter 18 of the Gospel of Matthew. And um, let's just be clear as to the geographical context. Jesus is in Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee. He's in the city of Capernaum and he's about to begin his journey toward Judea and toward the cross. And if you remember the cross is the highest symbol and the higher position of forgiveness and reconciliation and redemption and unity between God's people and God Himself. So Jesus is about to begin His journey toward the cross and toward Judea. I have shared with you that the whole Gospel of Matthew is divided into um, four or five major sermons of Jesus. Beginning with the Sermon on the Mount and then followed by the Sermon on sending out the disciples into their first missionary journey. The last of the sermons uh, of Jesus in Matthew we find in chapters 24 and 25 where Jesus preaches a sermon on the end times. But we are now on the third of the sermons of Jesus, a sermon that I would call or I remember it at a sermon on dealing with humility and dealing with who is greater in the kingdom of God and dealing with one another. is. It's a very personal sermon to the disciples. And as I said, humility is actually the foundation of this Sermon of Jesus. Humility, if you you pay attention to this whole 18th chapter, and let me share with you what I have shared before about what humility is. Let's describe fully and want you to think about what this word humility is. Humility is not. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's not deprecatory it is not humiliation it is not you punishing yourself that is not true humility but humility is considering yourself alongside others and it's about thinking of yourself less and sometimes thinking of others as greater than you and acting in such a way that others are lifted up as you, as a good servant of God, serve them." That is true humility. And if this sermon has to do with humility, we need to understand that, that the full teaching of chapter 18 is brought about because of two questions that are asked. One is a very general question, while the other one is more personal and more specific. The general question is basically when all of the disciples come to Jesus and say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? All of the disciples are asking this question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And Jesus begins by saying he takes a child that is probably there by them and puts him in the midst of them. And he says, whoever has the humility and the character and the heart and the way of life of this child or of a child like this is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And then he speaks about greatest in the kingdom of God is not a person who causes others to sin, but who he himself or she herself abstain from sinfulness. Someone who does not cause sin in the life of others. And that is very important. Because when Jesus begins to deal with THE FORMULA BY WHICH WE DEAL WITHIN THE BODY OF CHRIST FOR SIN, WE NEED TO UNDERSTAND THAT SIN SHOULD NEVER HAVE EXISTED IN THE FIRST PLACE. THE DIVISION SHOULD NEVER HAVE EXISTED. WHATEVER BROUGHT ABOUT THE DIVISION BETWEEN TWO BROTHERS OR TWO SISTERS OR THREE OR FOUR SHOULD NEVER HAVE EXISTED. WE SHOULD NEVER TO THE BEST OF OUR ABILITY BE THE SOURCE OF SIN OR BROKENNESS OR DISUNITY to have the humility to not cause sin and not bring sin into our own lives. And then Jesus gives the parable of the sheep that is lost, and the shepherd leaves the 99 to go seeking for the one sheep. And then, of course, comes the formula that Father Astor so eloquently uh, shared with you last week. And it should begin with, we should never cause sin in the life of others. We should be careful. We should be attentive. We should be aware of our propensity as human beings. We should not be the cause of sin or cause others to sin. But when it does occur, when it does occur, and Jesus is very aware that there may be times when there is reasons for this unity within the body of Christ. And, and this is very important. He's not dealing so much with unbelievers that they may have done something against us. All of this that Jesus is talking about here is about the body of Christ, it is about the church. It is about the communion of the believers. This is the brotherhood, the sisterhood. This is all of us together. When any reason for disunity occurs, where one person feels that they're hurt against another or someone's sin against them, then he gives the formula that. You can find there in chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, and that Father Astor dealt with. Number one, if, you're, if you know and are aware that your brother sins against you, or if you are the one that committed the sinful act or the disunity, you are the source of that disunity, you are to go to your brother, just between the two of you. You go to your brother, you go to your sister, you go to whomever it is that you have a a, a reason for distancing and disunity, and you have to go to your brother not for the reason of winning over them, not for the reason of embarrassing them not for the reason of getting them to cave down and bow down and ask you for forgiveness, but you go to your brother or to your sister for the reason of gaining that brother and that sister and embracing them back into the community and into your personal community of your heart. You go to your brother, just the two of them, and you deal with whatever was it that happened. And then there is... The question of asking for forgiveness and the issue of granting forgiveness. If that doesn't happen at that level, then you bring two or three mature believers from the church, not from outsiders, not the courts. But you bring other mature believers that can come and help you bring about the reconciliation with that brother or that sister. And Father Astor was very good at explaining that aspect. And then third, if even that attempt doesn't work and the disunity is there, then you bring it to the church, you bring it to the pastor, you bring it to the board, You bring it to the church, and then the pastor or the board may end up bringing it to the entire church. But the pastor would be involved, and if he's a pastor that is respected and honored, both sides need to listen to that pastor, because we are all under submission to the authority of that pastor and to the church. I want to say this in reference to that. And I have said this before, and I ask you to listen carefully. This process is a one-two-three step. It's not a three-two-one step. It's not a two-three-one step. It is a sequence of events for the purpose of maintaining whatever the cause was of the distancing, quiet, secretly, between the two people. If it eventually becomes public, It is a necessity. Don't bring to me issues that you should be dealing with with your own brother and sister. Don't jump the gun in bringing additional people before you have had the opportunity to deal with that brother and sister. Because if it stops there, then nobody else needs to know about it. You have gained your brother or your sister. And certainly don't come to me, please. Don't come to me and involve me in something that could have been dealt with at level one, at step one. Learn to love one another. Learn to honor one another. Learn to respect one another. And if that doesn't work, then you go to step two, and then eventually step three, and if necessary, someone could be asked to leave the church out of disobedience and disunity in the body of Christ. But that's what Pastor uh, Astor, this is what Father Astor kind of led us through uh, last week. Uh, Today I want to deal actually with the second question, the more specific question. The question that Peter brings to Jesus himself. And let me, let me say a couple more things before I even get there. There are four things that are important. One is that the act of reconciliation always have something to do with repentance and forgiveness. Repentance is necessary In our relationship with God, we need to repent. We need to say, Father, I have sinned against you. I have done this. I have done that. And the Father then says, I forgive you. My child, my son, my daughter. And the same thing needs to happen in reconciliation between brothers and sisters. There needs to be an acknowledgement that I have done something that has hurt you. Or you have done something that has hurt me. Or there's a misunderstanding that we can clear. And then there needs to be that, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I misunderstood that. I repent of what, I've, what I have caused. I'm sorry. And repentance is not only saying I'm sorry. Repentance also involves an idea of change of conduct. A turnaround so that if you indeed did something against your brother and sister, you change the way you do things so something like that doesn't happen again. If you tend to joke with people and hurt people through your joking, stop making jokes that seem to hurt people. If 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 you tend to gossip and you think it's innocent gossip or, or whatever, and it hurts people, then you have to stop and learn to control your mouth. Repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. It also involves making the necessary changes so that you don't again fall in the same trap, in the same hole again and again and again and again. And of course, receiving the words, I forgive you, is essential in the act of reconciliation and in the act of unity. So the idea of repentance and forgiveness are essential, as is the unity within the body of Christ. The unity among the body of Christ or within the body of Christ must be reserved because our testimony says to the world, That we are one with each other, and we are one with Christ, and we are one with our Heavenly Father. If the church becomes a source of disunity, how are we a living gospel? How are we living stones? How are we trying to reconcile others to God when we are not reconciled with our brothers and sisters? The idea of repentance and forgiveness and unity is essential to the body of Christ. And that is why we have to deal with it and not just brush it under the rug. Because our unity is essential to who we are as the church. Number three, it is essential because we cannot really forgive those outside the body of Christ without forgiving and reconciling with our brothers and sisters. And we have enough teaching for Jesus as to how to deal with repentance and forgiveness uh, with unbelievers and with those who hate us. I mean, Jesus has a lot to say about that. But here he's talking about the body of Christ. And this is essential. And I want you to understand that this is connected to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And we say, Father, forgive us our sins just like, in the same way, in the same manner, as I forgive the sins of others. And the reverse of that would be, if I am not forgiving of others' trespasses against me, don't forgive my sins. And that is not what we want. So the idea of forgiveness is attached to us forgiving others. So let me then return a little bit to Peter. Peter. So the first question is, who is greatest in the kingdom of God? Verse 1 of chapter 18. And then in verse 21, Peter himself, maybe for personal reasons, he comes up to Jesus with the question, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? The rabbinical teaching, the rabbinical teaching had indicated that you need to forgive your brother or your sister who sins against you three times. Peter, in a way, is being super generous from his point of view. He's going above the limit. He is being holier than holy. Is it okay if I forgive my brother seven times? And then Jesus responds to him, not seven times, but 77 times. Or some other translations have it as 70 times seven times. And I want to remind you that the number seven is the number of perfection in the scriptures. The number of perfection, the number of completeness, such as, such as on the seven days of creation and so many other places where the number seven appears in the scriptures. It is, it is known as the, the number of God, the number of perfection, the number of unity. And Jesus' response is you will forgive your brother and you will forgive your sister any and every time that they come to you with an honest, repented heart and say, I'm sorry. I have sinned against you. Forgive me. You are to grant forgiveness. Now, I understand that this concept of forgiveness is not as easy as sometimes it sounds. I understand that this issue of forgiveness can be very complicated at times, but it is complicated only because of the level of the trespass. There are some trespasses that are very simple and very easy to forgive. And there are some trespasses that are so painful and so difficult and so hard that some people have a great amount of trouble with the idea of forgiving. We need to acknowledge the elephant in the room. We need to acknowledge that forgiveness can be very difficult at times, and I understand that. But I also want to say that forgiveness is not always so hard, forgiveness is also very simple. It's a decision in your heart, it's a decision. To set yourself free and to set free others who may have hurt you for one reason or another. Forgiveness in a way is setting yourself free, bringing healing upon your own mind and your own heart and your own spirit. And it is setting free that person who may have hurt you from their sin, from their trespass, from the pain that is caused to everyone, for the shame that sometimes is brought upon people. Forgiveness is simple in the sense that you are setting free yourself and others. Let me give you a very quick illustration, and I'm not going to spend a long time on it, but it's an illustration that has always been very important to me as I deal with this issue of forgiveness, and you can apply it any way that you want. But I remember reading the story of two monks, and these two monks were traveling from one monastery to the other, and these uh, two monks uh, have made vows of celibacy, and poverty, and, and other vows that sometimes they make. And part of their vow of celibacy is that they would not, not just not have sex with, uh, with another woman, but that they would not even touch another woman. As these two monks are walking down the road to the next convent or to the next monastery, They meet this young woman on the road who is trying to cross a river, a puddle really, not very deep, but she is very afraid of the water and she asks the monks for help. The younger monk approaches the young woman. She climbs on his back, he doesn't touch her, but she climbs on his back and he goes, Across this river to the other side, she dismounts, and then he just crosses over to where the older monk is. The older monk is angry, extremely angry, because this young monk has violated his vows and the vows of the community. SO ANY CONVERSATION THEY HAD HAD IN THE PAST, NOW THERE'S SILENCE AMONG THEM. AND THEY GO AND THEY KEEP WALKING AND EVENTUALLY THE YOUNG MONK CAN HARDLY TAKE IT ANYMORE. AND HE TURNS TO HIS OLDER BROTHER. And he says, you know, you're so angry with me. I don't know why. I don't know what I did wrong to you that you are so angry with me. I can see it in your face. I can see it in your demeanor. I can see that you are treating me incorrectly. And the the older monk says, yes, you touched that woman and you helped her across the river and this and that other thing. And he unloads on the young man and the young man just says, yeah, but I dropped her off several miles ago. You're still carrying her. Sometimes we carry the sins of others on our back out of lack of forgiveness. And by the way, if you have to count how many times you have forgiven your brother or your sister, you haven't forgiven. If you're keeping tally of whether you're getting close to the 77 or the 70 times 7, if you are counting, you haven't forgiven Forgiveness needs to set you free and set the other person free. Yes, it's not as simple as that. I know that there are situations where you cannot become vulnerable again to things that may have been done to you. I understand that. But I just want you to know that unless you forgive, you're not free. You are slave of that condition that hurt you in the past. You're still carrying it on your back, and on your heart, and on your mind, and he will not let you be free, and he will not let you live the life that Christ has for you. And so Jesus tells a parable, not a very hard parable to understand. A king has lent a lot of money to a lot of people, and uh, he decides to... Uh, do an accounting, and collect on his debt. And he begins begins to collect and calling each of his servants up and said, I lend you this much and I want to get paid. And uh, and the people, those that can pay, pay. Those that need a little bit more time. Uh, But there's this particular guy that owes him an enormous, enormous amount of money. I want you to consider that uh, a denarii or a few denarii are the salaries of one week's wage or one day's wage. And this man owes, what, 10,000 talents? 10,000 talents equal to 100 denarii. And one denarii is the wage of one day's labor one talent equals to 6000 denarii it's like saying it's like saying that you owe me a dollar but i owe god a gazillion dollars i mean the 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 comparison between what he is forgiven by this king is nothing in comparison to what his fellow Servant owes him. He's happy to receive forgiveness, but he's not willing to give forgiveness. He's happy to be released from his debt, but he's not willing to release his fellow servant from his debt. It is a sad situation to read this parable and consider that sometimes this is us. We want God to forgive us for everything we have done from day one to the end of our lives. We don't even want God to remind us of the things we have done and the things that are in our closets, our skeleton in our closets. We don't want anyone to know between us and God, but we want God to make our sins white as snow. But we're unwilling to forgive a brother or a sister who may have said something incorrectly or done something incorrectly or perhaps not even said good morning when you said good morning or perhaps something more serious. But I guarantee you that no sin that someone can commit against us can ever equal the amount of mercy and grace that God has had toward you and toward me. And if God can forgive us all of our sins so that they are washed away and we are set free to be inheritors of the kingdom, we need to be willing to forgive our brother or our sister who may sin against us, whether on purpose, inadvertently, by mistake, but who comes to us and says, I'm sorry forgive me and even if they don't say I'm sorry forgive me you still need to set yourself free and let whatever happened to you be just washed away because you can't continue to carry it you need to at the very least set yourself free by offering forgiveness how many times not seven times not three times not seven times seventy times seven 77 times meaning every single time that someone repents of having hurt you you need to say I forgive you because it's it's for your good and the good of that brother and sister remember that this is Jesus teaching the body of Christ this is about life together life together and I know we get hurt And I know you get hurt. And I know the hurt hurts. And I know that it's hard. And I know it's not easy. And I know that sin can be destructive. And I know that you're in pain sometimes. But I want to say to you that the only way to healing is through forgiveness. YOU'RE FORGIVING YOURSELF, YOU GRANTING FORGIVENESS, AND YOU SEEKING GOD TOGETHER AND UNIFYING THE BODY OF CHRIST AND NOT ALLOWING THIS UNITY TO CONTINUE TO LINGER AND IT THEN BECOMES YOUR TESTIMONY TO THE WORLD AND TO OTHERS ABOUT YOU, ABOUT YOUR CHURCH, ABOUT THE BODY OF CHRIST. forgiveness. There is a method that Jesus sets, but there's also Jesus saying, you need to do this as often as you must. You are to forgive your brother and your sister. And again, I don't have all the answers or all the time to look at every aspect and every kind of hurt, but As a pastor, I am open to hearing you. I'm open to praying with you. I'm open to crying with you. I am open to loving you and having you love me. That is the teaching of Jesus to his disciples and to us today, the body of Christ. I pray that I've spoken to you and to your heart in Jesus' holy name. Amen.